see some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good-looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got Hey, good morning. Morning, how are you? I am well. How are you? I am wonderful. Thank you. (laughs) Good morning. Welcome, everybody. It's the Spit Podcast. It is Thursday, the 25th of February. And um, Scott Bass, David Lee Scales with you. We're here talking all things surf. And uh, David, good morning to you. Hey, Scott. It's a great morning. Um, Guess what landed in my inbox yesterday? New set of fins. (laughs) I wish. No, even better, actually. (laughs) If you could believe it, even our good friends at NVS will agree that this is better. Wow. All right. What is it? Remember the incident that you told us about when we were signing off last week where you and Saxon had a little encounter? Yes. The video footage. Shut up. I just texted it to you. Do you have your phone handy? I do. I do. How's it look? Am I guilty or what? (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty solid. It looks like you dropping in on a kid whose bottom (laughs) turning straight into your rail as you're going straight towards the beach. Oh my God. Out of it, though. <laughs> I got 40 bucks out of it. So, oh uh, my God, unfortunately, so- really, the, what it comes down to, the question of who is wrong comes down to is how the how you guys paddled into the wave. You said that he back paddled you. Unfortunately, yeah. this footage does not show that. This, But without that context, it looks like you're just properly burning him. Yeah, and 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 frankly, maybe that's the case. I mean, I'm, I certainly come from a, a position of, uh, you know, I have some, uh, I have my own best interests at heart, I guess, is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I'm, I'm totally willing to look at it from an entirely different angle from 180 degrees instead of prosecuting young Saxon. I'm willing to defend young Saxon so we can get to the truth here. Um, but you know, as it unplayed in real time, I saw this guy paddle right past me. I'm like, what? Yeah. Full back paddle. And I just was like, that ain't happening. Totally. Totally. Um, and and, oh, by the way, on top of that, and Saxon will back this up. The reason he back paddled me is because he had just caught a wave, (laughs) you know, like I was in line. So it's your turn. But, you know, at the end of the day, too, if you just looked at it completely objectively, like guy on the inside always gets the wave. If that's our litmus, then he deserved the wave because he was deeper. But when he took off, I mean, he was in the foam like he took off late. He back paddled and took off as the thing was breaking on his back. Yeah. Well, so I don't want to live in a world where the guy who's always deeper automatically gets the wave because that's just way too aggressive. You know, like if you constantly have to be scratching 
to get on the other side of the guy and you end up way out of position. Everybody ends up too deep and so many waves go kind of run off without anybody riding the open face. So yeah. I, I don't think that that is the litmus. I think that there needs to be a little bit of decorum in the lineup. Um, you know, what's funny too about that is the way he goes, I got 40 bucks out of it. Yeah, I know, totally. <laughs> it's as if he strong-armed me or something. <laughs> Oh, well, and as if, as if that's even a fair exchange, like, I mean, I'd way rather have a not dinged board than the money required to fix the dinged board, you know, like yeah. you still end up at, at an e break even, you yeah. just have a board that's fixed. Um, so how funny is that though, that this is the world? How, we did, in? how did that get to your email? Just for like some random listeners, like I was videoing it. I don't think he was even videoing it. He just follows an account that was videoing it. Uh, but yes, a random email or a random DM yesterday came in, but almost immediately after that episode, uh, I got a number of people DMing, identifying who Saxon was because yeah. you said that he's from Florida and a certain age. And they're like, Oh, that kid shreds. Like he's one of the better longboarders in Florida. And yeah, he obviously been, wasn't, wasn't riding a longboard when you saw him, but no. And I've, I've been following him ever since. And oh, okay. I've been enjoying his Instagram account. I'm all, I'm pro Saxon yeah whatever course. it's all good you know yeah. like you know and i guess you know what i i'm not gonna i'm too i'm too old to get into a grovel fest with some red hot 20 year old you know what you win saxon you're the winner i'm backing out of this whole deal <laughs> and you were saxon 20 years ago you know like we yeah. all were like i remember exactly. feeling that way where it was just like i don't care i'm just paddling around and i'll apologize later if needed you know yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. I, I had that happen in front of Kanoa Igarashi one time at Newport, not to like name drop, but we were in a group of people like working with and for Quicksilver and we paddled out at Newport and like uh, that last jetty about 61st Street. So it's all lefts running off of it. And it was pretty small, pretty crowded. And a dude back paddled me again, right up against the jetty. And I'm like, screw this guy. I'm going no matter what. But because he was putting pressure on, I started getting nervous and like second guessing myself. And it was kind of a steeper, like a barreling type wave. And so I got up, but I didn't fully commit because I saw him coming around the bottom and I knew it was going to be a tight transition. And I basically just got sucked right over the falls and Kanoa was paddling over the shoulder, watching the whole thing. So that was extra pressure. And I literally like stood up at the top didn't quite commit to ducking, like to knifing into the pig dog and just got pitched over the falls. I think the guy dodged me. And I remember coming up and Kanoa like pointing and laughing, just like ah! <laughs> full embarrassment, you know? Oh my Lordy. That's funny. One thing uh, regarding NVS fins is that those fins put a pretty solid ding in Saxon's board. Dude, that's a sharp, that is and a fine foil. My board came out spotless, not a problem. And how's your fin look? <laughs> no, everything looks fine. I, I looked all over. I was like, hmm, maybe those, it wasn't me. No, those things are <laughs> bulletproof in terms of strength and their foil is so refined, you know? And also, you know, uh, for full disclosure, when I stood up on that wave, I, I fully had an old man moment where I wasn't on, on my game, so to speak. And I was sort of on my heels. Yeah, yeah. I was falling. I was like, because I, because my plan in my head was jam, a, get on my toes and jam away from this kid and just yeah. like fade him, you know. But I was going like this uh -huh. because I was full old man. I mean, if anything is to be learned from this, it's for me, it's, it's, um, I'm getting older, man. It's not, I had a long chat with Ian Cairns about this. 
And as you know, it's one of the fascinating things that for me right now, I guess fascinating is not the right word, but it's something that's occupying my headspace is this, when do I, um, you know, fade away from this thing that it is who I am. It is what I love. It is, you know, I get so much enjoyment from being in the ocean, you know, how do you do that? And, and, you know, 15 years ago, you'd be like, no problem. Just go down the beach, you know, but I swear you can't go down the beach anymore. Not where I live. Every yeah. single spot is packed more or less. Yeah. You know, and if it's not, it's because the wave is so horrible. You wouldn't even go out there. I don't know. We got to look to examples that came before us. Uh, Jerry Lopez, you know, he like gets yeah, no into, paddle. gets into yoga picks up a yeah picks up a paddle or goes snowboarding like moves to the mountains like like he's not going to lower himself to get into altercations yeah. he's just going to elevate above it literally in terms of altitude and go into the mountains and start carving powder yeah or yeah. whatever and, and and but he has a little bit more resources at his yeah. fingertips like you can move to bend and then you know just fly to tavaru or whatever you know gets invited to Kelly's wave pool if he wants to get barreled. Yeah. Um, I don't mean to uh, pivot too hardly, but do you want to do a pivot too hardly? Yeah, I guess yes. Hardly. Yes. I, I like it when we don't, when we use words that aren't words that kind of cracks me up. Well, a uh, listener also sent feedback about, we were talking about throat cancer, right? And kind of about how men are, uh, have a lot of pride and don't want to see the doctor. Yeah. So he basically chimed in and said, this is a PSA. Absolutely. If you have any sort of concern at all, just go get it addressed immediately because putting it off only ends up in worse condition. So I'll try to run through this as quick as possible, but I want to do him justice. Uh, he says, your last podcast with mentions of health and men, I just wanted to share my recent experience. It highlights your comments about how embarrassment and masculinity can lead in to bad places in your health. Five years ago, I noticed blood in my stool. So talk about embarrassment. That's something you wouldn't want to address. He said, over months, I tried to adjust my diet so I wouldn't have to see the doctor, but it only got worse. I was in the fittest shape I had been in my life. I was taking the surf school kids uh, through their academy and circuit training, breaking the school records and fitness related activities, but I was feeling exhausted and dizzy. So I uh, go and get a blood test and the doctor rings me at home and says, your hemoglobin count is 71. Normal is about 140 to 160. I'm admitting you to the hospital. Turns out to be hemorrhoids. Not very sexy, I know, uh, but putting it off meant that I had a pretty big deal, that it became a pretty big deal and a pretty significant operation, but I survived. The surgeon said, we're going to have to do a follow-up operation down the road. And I put that off as well because of the embarrassment and trauma of the first ordeal. Five years later, which was actually just on uh, November 25th, I finally schedule that follow-up surgery. Um, he, you know, long recovery from that goes back in the ocean. He's not surfing yet. He's just body surfing and he gets slammed on a, on a shore break wave and it bruises his heel. So he goes into a follow-up appointment and he mentions his heel bruise to his doctor and his doctor prescribes a medication for him called naproxen. So he goes home and uh, is feeling kind of, he's feeling okay nursing the injury for a couple of days. And then randomly on January 16th starts vomiting, huge volumes, dark coffee color, exorcist style vomiting. 
And he had been helping a neighbor clean out an old shed. So he thought maybe he had ingested some mold that was in the shed, rushes to the doctor with a throbbing headache, massive, massive exhaustion. And they do another blood test. His hemoglobin count had dropped even lower to 66, drops again to 57. They do a CAT scan for brain bleeding. They talk about his bone marrow not functioning properly. Nobody knows what's going on at this stage. He's barely conscious. He's completely exhausted. He's sobbing uncontrollably from fear as they hook him up for a blood transfusion. Spends three nights in the hospital, gets three units of bloods of blood, half a dozen blood tests fed through his arm and an endoscopy. They identified basically two chronic ulcers in his duodendum, and it was all caused by the naproxen that his doctor gave him to deal with the pain. And he said, it's three weeks later now, as of yesterday, and he's still recovering. The blood count is slowly working its way up to 107, but he's so he's still considered anemic. Um, he said, my takeaway and advice is don't be proud. Always insist on blood tests. Nearly dying, put this in perspective, put my life in perspective uh, in a way that it never has before. His fiance has been a rock on April 17th this year, two days after the anniversary of their first kiss. He's finally going to get to marry her. So life is short and fragile. Live it to its fullest is what he says. Oh, I'm glad that things are turned around for him. That's great. Um, but yeah, a, a warning for sure. Um, you know what, what comes to light as you read this, read that article, that email is, um, you know, this idea that men are sort of stubborn and we won't for pride or ego or whatever reasons, we won't go to the doctor when we should, you know, who fixes that hmm. wives, like the significant other in your life, male or female is generally the person that goes, Hey, you should go look at that. At which point, we again throw our yeah. ego into the equation and go, no, no, you know, I'm good. But, but we end up complaining about it enough that they go, look, you know, go right now. Or you're, you know, they, they basically force you to go do that stuff. And God bless them for that, you know, because I think that's one of them, uh, like an overlooked thing that spouses do is that they make sure that you as a stubborn egotistical male, get, get, your, get your situation, your health looked at. It's a great point. And I know there are stats that show that married men live longer than non-married men. And that's probably just part of it, you know? Yeah. Getting to the doctor. That's a, that's an interesting take too. Hey. So, all right. Um, what are your thoughts on ocean waves being owned as private property? You know, um, I feel two ways about it. At once, that's not okay. You can you <laughs> only can feel one way about this. Okay, if you, I okay, don't even here's care how I which, feel. Which way here's it is, but only one way. Here's how I feel. Okay, if it's a wave that nobody that is unknown, if you if you buy a private island and there's some private wave on it that nobody's ever discovered, by all means, have it to yourself. Never tell a soul. If you're gonna buy Tavarua, and then make Cloudbreak private. Absolutely not okay. It's already a resource that everybody else is uh, enjoying. So that's absolutely not okay. That's how I feel about it. Wow. That's, that's really interesting. How do you feel about it? Well, I, I feel that ocean waves shouldn't be owned. I, I don't think that you should. I think that everyone should be able to enjoy the ocean and ocean waves. 
And um, I, interestingly, I bet there's some really, really old maritime law somewhere that addresses this on some level, I'm imagining, because maritime law is fascinating because how old it is. Yeah. It's probably the oldest, um, you know, law that's on the books. But, you know, this all this topic comes to us, David, because of um, Chaz wrote something on Beach Grit that's courtesy of um, something that he found on Reddit or that was sent to him. And basically says that founders of Google, uh, and this is a rumor, but um, I don't know. First of all, how do you feel about this rumor? Do you like as far as legitimacy on a scale of one to 10, 10 being, yeah, this is probably happening. Tell me what the rumor is first. Thank you. Sorry. The rumor. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking that. I'm like, he doesn't even know what I'm talking about. The rumor is that Google has now purchased several islands, one of them Tavarua. And um, they're going to be docking their mega, super mega yachts in Fiji, the, the founders and owners of Google, whoever they are. I'm sure there's four or five of them. And, um, and yeah, so they're going to buy these private islands that you and I know as surf destinations and, um, and possibly keep people from going there. So, okay, let me play devil's advocate. It's so easy just to take the logical concept or path here, which is I'm anti, right? Right. Big evil, you know, corporate overlords are taking over everything. Yeah. And we're going to have nothing. Okay. I'm going to take the opposite of that. Okay. It was always super expensive to go to. There was always a very upper crust of society that could ever make it there anyways. So it wasn't as if, yes, it is uh, not legally prohibited to go to if you're a pauper you just don't have the resources as a pauper to go there you know and so this is kind of just further creating that scenario it's just now an even thinner layer of the upper crust that has access to it but um yeah so it's it's just an extension of what already existed it's just because you and i had the opportunity maybe in our wildest dreams to get there that we thought oh it's public and it's open but no it wasn't, right? Yeah, but I'm sort of looking at it from uh, 30,000 feet, actually. And look, cloud break, Tavarua, whatever. But but does this set a precedent so that now, and maybe the precedent's already been it set, yeah. set but, but what if they just, what if, what if it gets worse? It will. What if, yeah. And at what point, um, I, I don't know. I, there's something about buying an underwater reef that, and then, and then owning it and then, you know, setting the rules for it. Well, um, so that's not actually what's happening. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, but they're buying the Island. Right. And the only real way to access that um, conveniently, the wave itself is from the Island, but it's that's not, not as true. If that's not true. Let's back up a little bit. First of all, there's a really good way. There's two really good ways on that island. Let's throw Cloudbreak out the window because I think Cloudbreak is going to remain open even if they purchase. Because I think when you purchase Tavarua, you get the rights to that outer reef as part of the fishing grounds, mm. so to speak. Again, don't quote me on this, but I think that's the case. But my point is, look, there's um, restaurants and there's Tavarua rights, and you can access those waves super easily from the mainland. It's just a minor 15-minute boat ride from Nandi. So if 
they own the island, will there be surfers going and surfing restaurants? Can they keep those surfers out by owning the island? Yeah, I think that's what they do now. And, you know, before Google. And so, yeah, the answer is yes. Okay. But again, I'm talking about like the precedent. Uh, and again, it's already been set. But, um, it, you know, from 30,000 feet is the concept of owning waves. Let's just put it right there. Is the concept of owning waves. Does that sit well with us no. as, as a community? I, I, no, but again, I have to recognize my own hypocrisy because the same could be said about land in general, right? Like if your land has a farm on it and it's a resource that other people could use, the reason why we don't quibble about that is because there's kind of an unlimited amount of land in not, not, not um, literally, but there is currently with a way that our population is, is that, oh, we could just yeah. buy more land and farm more. So create more resources for people, but it really is kind of the same argument. It's just that waves to you and I, a certain quality of waves are so much more finite that we do quibble about it because we know there's no other wave on the planet like cloud break. So the, uh, the concept of um, property that's above sea level and property that's below sea level has no, um, it, it, there's no dividing line there for you. You're saying it's okay to just buy, I could buy the friggin' Marianas Trench if I had enough money and wouldn't allow you to cross my property. You know, when you say it like that, I'm not into it. I'm just recognizing the hypocrisy of the argument. Well, what I'm saying is, is um, private property, the concept of buying private property, I get it. It's land that we're going to farm or we're going to do it or whatever we're going to do. But the high tide line, the mean high tide line, something changes and it ha and it's been that way either through just like, I don't know if, why it was like, I guess it's maritime law, but all of a sudden when you go into the ocean, there has been sort of like an, an unknown sort of liberty there, like an, un, you know, an unlitigated liberty where we, it's okay for everybody to kind of sail your boat to wherever you want to go sail your boat to, you know, and no one can tell you, you can't, you know, the ocean is truly the dividing line between private property and sort of the world's, um, you know, the world's right to use the passage known right. as the ocean. And once we start, if we like, is it, is this the, is this the tiny little seed that's going to way past our lifetime, but let's say 500 years from now, people do own the Marianas Trench. Well, yes, I think- Is that even a thing, by the way, the Marianas Trench? Does that thing exist? It, it does. And this is that time, I think. We're living in that time. I think that the reason why the oceans weren't uh, litigated or purchased before is that population was still growing and the ocean was just so expansive and it benefited humanity and mankind to have open passage. So it was for the greater good. But I think that the world is shrinking, not literally, but figuratively because of all, certainly larger population numbers, but also larger levels of wealth than we've ever, ever seen before and also corporate wealth. So if the Marianas Trench isn't actually owned by let's say uh, e Elon Musk, it might be owned by Apple 
because maybe Apple will sponsor the Mar Marianas Trench, you know? And so I think we could see a version of the world in the future where, yeah, everything is branded with sponsorship or privately owned. And so that's where space exploration comes in, you know? I mean, literally like that's where, and speaking of Elon, I think he's talked about that. Like, you know, there will be condos on the moon at some point. And if you want isolation because you have no version of it on earth, you can't even get it in the ocean anymore. Then the moon is where you go. If the richest of the rich want isolation, you go to the moon. That's, that could be a world that we're living in. Well, I'm thinking more about private property rights here though. Like what's wrong with just saying, look from the mean high tide line everywhere around the world. And we're going to have to grandfather in those islands in Greece and and islands don't even matter. Islands are land. You can buy land. You can buy the island. I don't care. But from the mean high tide line, those resources are more or less open to humanity, as you say, to, you know, granted, there's going to need to be some um, control. You know, you can't just simply go in there and fish out the place. There's got to be some resource management involved, which there are, you know, already is. But can we, can we like, draw the line and say, look, you can't buy the waves in the Maldives. You can't buy the waves. And, and when I say waves, I'm just using that for this argument. Let's just say you can't buy underground reefs, under, excuse me, underwater reefs so that you can have, you know, a diving charter that you own that only goes there. You know, like, do you think the concept of private property ownership under the sea level, wouldn't it be good to stop it right there? It'd be good for me because I'll never be in a position to actually fuck out you. the cash for, to own it. For humanity. <laughs> yes, for, for yes. the greater good. Yes, yes. But that's so not the direction we're headed. Right. Which is why we're talking about it. Because yeah. it seems like, you know, look, there, there's nobody between you and I, we're both entrepreneurial capitalists that love the yes. free market. I get it. You know, I'm, I'm not trying to quash free market capitalism. No. I'm just saying, look, the idea of anybody owning the Marianas Trench is pretty gnarly. And by the way, that will start wars. I mean, you know, yeah. once you've once you've got super tankers that are have to move yeah. in a different direction and their prices go up because of it, you know, superpowers are going to get pissed. And I think, look, where we're at right now, um, the reason why we care about waves is obviously because we want to surf them. And there's that's a small enough cohort to where there aren't going to be any world wars fought over this exact discussion. Um, but this is definitely the world we're living in. And yes, if somebody, if um, yeah, Elon Musk or whoever was willing to pay a price, like Cloudbreak has a price. There is somebody who's, legally in control of Cloudbreak right now, and they would sell it for the right number. I don't know what that number is, but they would. And I think that that applies to everything across the world because anybody wants to have the level of wealth that those guys have. And so, or not everybody, but a lot of people would be tempted by that. And look, there's we already know those guys can literally get away with murder. They can get away with stealing. They can get away with rape. They get away with all sorts of stuff simply because of their resources. So the question of, is it right? No, it's not right at all. Like there is a limitation to 
the benefits of capitalism. And we kind of bump into that all the time. Owning of a wave is kind of low on the list of things that I would like to uh, strip back from, you know, wealthy people who have all the resources to do anything they want to do. But I don't mean, but it is, it is, it is in our wheelhouse though. I mean, if we're going to start somewhere, we're not necessarily don't have the passion to, you know, try to right the wrong that is, you know, the death of that could that journalist yeah. Emil Khashoggi or whatever, but we would go, Hey, you know what? Let's call the guy at save the waves and see what he's doing about cloud break right. or Tavarua or like, or not Tavarua, but restaurants or, <clears throat> and you're right. I mean, you know what? I'd be, I'm the first one to raise my hand and say, I've stayed on Nomotu and went, thank God I get to surf. Yeah. That fun little right-hander. What's that fun little right-hander called there that sucks up. I forget the name of it. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I'm a hypocrite. (laughs) (laughs) As we all are. But I, 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 you know, this, this, this uh, article that Chaz wrote, to me, the big question was, what do I pull out of this is, you know, okay, we're starting to give up little by little, we're starting to give up some of these waves. And uh, of course, in California, that wouldn't happen, but certainly could happen in Mexico. Yeah, certainly, certainly could happen. um, I mean, you name it, Morocco. I mean, once, you know, you you could see some super wealthy surfer, like, I don't know, the son of Charles Schwab, who's building a wave pool and, you know, going, hey, I love that anchor point. What a killer wave. I'm just going to buy it. And, you know, the the little town of Tagazoot, I'm going to give you $500 million and I'm going to build 15 schools yeah. And I'm going to, you know, what is it going to take? As you said, there's a price for everything. And all of a sudden they anchor point, you don't get to surf it. Yep. And then from there, it's like, okay, well shit. And boom, boom, they start buying up all the other little waves around there. Well, especially if you found the right vulnerable community, they don't even recognize the wave as a resource or an asset. Right. They go, oh, we have, we have, you know, uh, 200 tourists that come every year to surf it. That amounts to yeah, whatever, $30,000. Yeah, of course we'll take your half a million or half a billion, whatever. I mean, it could even be like, you could see it because Tagazoot would be like, hey, we actually have a pretty massive tur- surfing tourism yeah. uh, thing going on here. Tell you what, we'll let you buy Anchor Point. Um, and here are the stipulations. Whenever you raise up a flag, the, we have to empty out the spot and you get to go out by yourself and because you own it. But you have to let our surf tourism continue here and you have to build 15 schools and a hospital and blah, 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 whatever the stipulations are. You know, I don't know. Well, so oil might be the best comparison to try to figure this out. Oil exists underground and, you know, they lease it. They kind of, they lease land out yeah. and you can, you can take the resource during the duration of your lease and you can charge whatever you want to charge for it. We're going to charge a certain price for the lease, get what you can out of it. Some people get, at times they get zero out of it, you know, at times they make a killing out of it. So, yeah, that's a, that's a really good way to look at it. I'm glad you brought that up. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, we got to stick on track with our schedule today. Yeah. Um, and one of the big stories, the WSL looks like Australia is going to happen. Um, that plane is leaving LA for Sydney on March 6th and it's going to land on March 8th. Scott is shaking his head. No, you don't think it's going to happen. Well, I think the plane's going to leave. Yeah. And I and I hope it happens. I want it to happen. I want those four events to go down just because it's going to make for 
some fun stuff to talk about and see how it goes down. But um, after talking with Ian Cairns a little bit, he's of the opinion that um, more will be revealed. But if New South Wales pulls it off, if they can pull off Newcastle and Narrabeen without <clears throat> some a couple of cases popping up, because he thinks that's all it's going to take. If you look at Melbourne and the tennis, yeah, all it's going to take is for a couple of cases to pop up and they pull the whole thing. Yeah. Because in Melbourne, you could go, look, don't come to the tennis stadium. You're not allowed. Just watch it on TV. They're not going to be able to do that at a public beach. Well, there's they're limiting the number of people that go. So yeah, but they did that at Pipeline. Three, yeah, it's look about what happened 3, at Pipe. Yeah. Yeah, but down the beach, there's 15, you know, 100 people jumping up and down all together without masks. Well, the other thing is the limit, they're limiting it to about 3,000. I think it's 3,500 at one event and 2,500 another. So let's say 3,000. That doesn't seem very limited to me, you know? And especially like you said, when just down on the other side of the barrier, there's an, there's no limitation basically. Yeah. So yeah, there is real potential for that concern. Um, uh, Andrew Stark is the guy who pulled this off, right? For the WSL, he works for the WSL running Australia and I think Asia or something, but uh, he was interviewed on in stab magazine. They do a podcast called cusp and he, they interviewed him. And so he said a few things that I thought were interesting. One was that they're the Western Australia state will allow kind of a special accommodation for traveling between States. So assuming that those two events go well, or even if they don't, I think like he, they had a plan B in place for if somebody does contract it, then of course they get eliminated from the next competition or whatever. But the W the state itself will allow for special accommodation for like charter a flight, come to this quarantined area and stay within these quarantined hotels. And you can just access the surf from there, not interact with the rest of the public. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. He seemed obviously super confident that all four were going to go regardless good, of what happened. I, I, that would be good. More will be revealed and we want it to happen. I, I want to see it go down. Well, what I wanted to ask you about was let's presume that it does. So this would be, we have pipeline then we have these four events. Europe is out. Um, maybe Tahiti can happen. Maybe they do a contest at surf ranch. So we have this new format this year where the top five go into a finals day event at lowers. How does this new format, who does this benefit and who does it hurt? Because the waves are going to be of lesser quality for one. Um, somebody like Gabriel Medina tends to break late in the year. Generally, he has a slow start to the year. He breaks late in the year, generally in Europe. So that's eliminated for Gabriel Medina. Um, the again, lower quality waves in Australia would lend itself to some QS quality surfers, let's say. So what are your thoughts? <laughs> who does this benefit and who does it, which is sad, who does this benefit and who does this hurt? Well, first of all, I don't think Gabe's going to be affected at all. This guy is a machine. And just because he started slow in the past, this is a different, Gabe Medina, in my mind, is going to probably be the world champion. Um, I think he's got the bit in his teeth and he's ready to romp. Okay. But um I, look, the big question to me is what will Western Oz be like, right? We know what Narrabeen and Newcastle can be or will be, and it's just not going to be, it's going to be, it's, everyone's going to do fine, right? Unless you're like, um, you know, 
a keg like Wade Carmichael and it's one foot. Yeah. But for the most part, every all the 32 guys will do fine there. there to me, it benefits the John Johns and the guys that do better in sort of larger, more meaningful surf if Margaret and Rotnest are big. You know, if we can get 10 to 15 foot Margaret River and we have maybe a day at North Point, then like the cream of the crop's gonna rise, the Geordies, the John Johns, the Gabes, the Idolos, those guys that, that surf meaningful, powerful waves um, with authority. Yeah. Now that might not happen, you know, uh, according to um, some people I've spoken with, Rottenest is a real rippable wave, almost more like trestles than it is like a, a pat, like a, a wave of consequence. So to me, Margaret's the big kind of question mark regarding who this is going to benefit. If it's just four to eight foot Margaret, or let's say four to six foot Margaret, then it doesn't, I don't think it hurts or helps anybody. I think they're all in the same strata. You've got 32 guys. You've got the top 10 guys that competitively between their ears are better than the other bottom half, you know? And then we go to Tahiti, which I think Tahiti could happen, by the way, because if there's one place where you can fly a plane load of guys and not worry about 300,000 spectators jumping up and down, breathing on each other, it's in Tahiti. Yeah. We're going to all be on boats. You know, just spectators that live there are going to go out there like they normally do. But I think Tahiti could happen. And um, regarding lowers, more will be revealed. So I think this is actually a John John year. I think you can't say Margaret without saying John John at this point, right? Exactly. And he already won pipe, so he's in first. Um, what? But John John at Margaret's is when John, John when Margaret's is, is massive. And we're having a day at the box and a day at North Point. I think yeah, even I better, think even better for him then. But well, I no, think I agree. He, but I'm saying if it's just four to six feet, you, you don't necessarily go, oh, that's John John's. Even it's though still, every, it still I does mean, yeah. to me. And I think it does right. to the competitors too. I think they All know right. that. And so I, I agree with you. If it's twice as big, then it benefits him even more. But I think he's the man to put your money on at Margaret's. Um, and he already won pipe. So he's in first. And if Tahiti goes, he's, he's a threat at Tahiti. Uh, he's comfy at lowers. He's won lowers in the past. And the question mark for me is the other Australian events for John John. And then of course the pool, I don't really remember John John ever thriving in the pool. And in fact, I think he was injured uh, one of the years. So I don't really have a lot of memories of him, but it makes me start thinking about guys like Kanoa Igarashi. Kanoa is in fifth, those kind of QS style waves in Australia. He is very good at surfing those. Um, Tahiti, I guess he could do okay in. Lowers, he'd be really solid in. And so then that also opens it up to guys who are lower down the rankings, but have offer kind of a similar style of surfing. Felipe Toledo, uh, Chloe Andino, Griffin Colapinto. I would even go as far as Ethan Ewing could be amazing in those locations. Connor, Connor O'Leary. O'Leary could be amazing in those yeah, locations. Connor O'Leary, yeah, yeah. You know? Well, let me throw out a thought. Um, you know, in the past, we had nine or 10 or 11 events on tour. And if you went to a spot and the, the conditions didn't look good, the forecast looked bad. Um, I, I'm assuming that at, at some level, in, even though they wouldn't outwardly say this, inwardly, they're going, oh, God, it's Brazil. It's three foot. I'm kind of fucked this thing. You know, like I'm going to go out and do it and I'm going to try. But, you know, inwardly, they're kind of like, eh, you know. But this year, because we only have maybe four or five events, maybe six events, 
And because of everything that's happened and the guys haven't surfed in over a year and they're pumped and this is a special year. Every event is super meaningful. I think that those guys that in the past would be like, oh, it's four foot near, it's closed out Newcastle, I'm over it, are going to be way more engaged than they would have. And I say that because that's how I think John John feels about the pool. And I think a lot of guys like Jordy feel about the pool. Before they even go there, they're like, this is lame. It's set up so I can lose. Gabriel's going to kill it. This whole situation is not. And so they go into it, even if they wouldn't outwardly tell you, I think inwardly they're like, I'm writing this one off. I want to get home. Because, yeah. you know, I'm going to throw this event away anyway, you know, but this year they're all going to focus. So I think John John's going to I think they have to focus, especially if you're in the running, if you're in the top 10 you know, and you have the chance to get in that top five to go to lowers. I think they're going to give every each and every spot sort of a different level of um, care and concern than they would in the past. I think that it could actually hurt the people that it might hurt Kelly Slater. Uh, the aforementioned Jordy. Jordy's just a big guy, you know, and he benefits from better waves on tour. Jack Robinson, you know, when when the tour was slated to be Sunset Beach, G Land, like then I thought, oh my gosh, Jordy could have his year. J- Jack Robinson, his first year on tour, he could win those events. And now I look at those guys and I go, oh shoot, this is a liability for them. This could mean they end up in twentieth place. Kelly included. That would be so sad if we lost Jack Robinson off the tour because of this whole situation. That would be totally that would be like a major blow to surf fans and and surf competitive surfing in well, general. This is so this would be officially a misstep by the WSL. And this goes back to our emailer last week, Daniel, who is shaming or you know, calling me out for like, why doesn't David not want the tour to run? And it's like, no, no, no. What I want is we need to design a scenario that everything goes to a pointy tip, the best surfers in the best waves in the world. And if we create this scenario where it actually benefits the lesser surfers so that next year, when everything gets green lit, we don't have Jack Robinson. We don't have Kelly Slater and they're replaced by, you know, uh, QS quality surfers who don't even have stickers on their boards. Then it's like, what position are we in that? We're in a worse position than we were five years ago. So, yeah. so this we is, really need to be concerned about this. Or, what a or great be... point. You've made a great point, David. This is Thank super you. crucial. This is, Thank you. this is the kind of the, the elephant in the room or not the elephant in the room. It's the thing that nobody's seeing. It's kind of hidden in the corner. It's the spider up in the corner there. I see climbing on your surfboard behind you. It's, and it's, it needs to be, it, I hope that they thought this through because I couldn't think of a bigger black eye than we, we crown a world champions say john john florence and jack robinson is not on the tour to go to g land sunset beach pipeline chopu you know wow that's that's a big misstep we'll we'll have to see how it all shakes out i think that there's enough guys who do both things really well who have like small qs style competitive grovel savvy you know idolo ferreira our world champ like he i'm not worried about him he can, like he, and by the way, um, Gabriel Medina too, like yeah. those guys can surf one foot slot better than anybody. And they surf 10 foot barrels better than anybody. So I think that there's enough of those guys on tour to where we probably won't find ourselves with Connor O'Leary as the world champ, you know, and Kelly Slater being kicked off tour. No offense to Connor. I love his surfing, but that, well, that here, would be a nightmare. Here's the question to you. Right now, let's name our five at, at lowers. You know, like I, I'm thinking to myself, 
it's kind of obvious. It's John, John, it's Idolo, it's Gabe, right? It's Kanoa. And then really, who's your fifth? You know, Kanoa like that isn't obvious to me. Cheap to me, he is. So who's your fifth guy? Or who's Scott's fifth guy? You know, like, um, who am I missing here? Felipe? Uh, Felipe could do it this year because there aren't any waves of consequence. This could be the would, year actually for Felipe. Would you be happy with those five that I just mentioned? Happy is not the right word, but I mean, you could see that happening. You don't like Kanoa. I do like Kanoa. Um, I mean, I mean in the five, if, like, he's, what's, he's what's not a shoe in. He's not a shoe in for me. Um, I like, so I could see, I'm disappointed to not see Julian Wilson in that mix for once. Um, I would love to see a Jordy Smith in that mix. I could see somebody rising to the challenge like um, Jack Freestone, to be honest. I think Jack Freestone is on the upswing and these grovelly waves plus he's good in grovelly waves. Plus he could do amazing at lowers. He could do well in waves of consequence. He could do well in the pool. I would like to make a bold claim right now that Ethan Ewing could also pull it off. I could see him in the top five. I think he's that talented. And again, no waves of consequence. So can we agree on our four? Because what I'm getting here is that we're in yeah. agreement on four. And then the fifth one is sort of yeah. the one that's floating around. So what are our four? Yeah, I think John, John, uh, Gabriel, Idolo are three for sure. Okay. Um, wh- why did I have four that I... Kanoa. You had Kanoa. Oh, yeah. Okay. We don't agree on that. So we have three that we are sure are going to be in it. So now we have two that are sort of floaters. And I'm saying Kanoa and um felipe sure something like that and i'd say Uh, probably kanoa and maybe ethan would be my fifth just as a wild card pick yeah the wild card it could be freestone that's the thing those last two we really don't know you know those are the two that we're going to see shake out it could be jordy um but wow it's amazing that this kelly slater wave pool is really i think going to have a lot to say about who makes that top five which is also an absolute that's a bummer it's a bummer and and really we know who's going to do well at the wave pool we do yeah Yeah. in fact if there's any event that you were going to go to your australian surf bookie and put some money on uh, that's the event where you know all the wild cards have been kind of taken out of the equation i mean when i'm talking about you know what the waves are going to be like when i say wild cards i mean like we know what we got and who does good in that situation well let's look to the past yeah gabriel medina Gabriel Medina, yeah. Felipe Toledo. Those are the yeah. guys I put money on. Yep. So, okay. Well, that's what we have to look forward to. That plane takes off on March 6th, FYI. So we'll record an episode before that all goes down. Um, Burley single fin event. Did you watch any of that? It's fun. No. Um, the boys over at eight that swell put out a really funny, amazing edit on that. Great hey, surfing. Can, can you hold on for just a sec? Yeah, let's go to commercial break, Scott. Good idea. All right. Okay. Welcome well, back from commercial. Yeah. Sneaker time. Yeah. Everybody needs sneakers. Yeah. Um, so did you watch Harry? Br- I know you didn't. The yeah. answer is no. no. Oh, you watched Harry Bryant's octopus yeah. edit? What do you yeah, think? Yeah, that's, that's my must-see moment. Oh, nice. Yeah. It's super red hot ripping, right? Some um, deep, heavy slab tubes and incredible aerials. It sort of reminded me of a Clay Marzo edit, but with a little bit more variety. You know, you mm. had this incredible goofy foot and some incredible slabby waves doing some insane airs. But then, you know, they mixed it up with cold water, full suits and different spots. And um, yeah, I thought it was inspiring. I think 
it, it was fun to watch. Yeah, it's my must-see moment too. I think the difference between Marzo and Harry are Marzo's live like a cat and Harry's just full pedal to the metal, like brash uh, power. And not that one is better than the other, but um, I, I can also see what you're saying. What I do like about Harry too is the explosiveness. It's like he sees a section, he's going full speed, just launches the hugest air, just launches the hugest gouge, you know, like there's no feathering of the gas or anything like that. It's well, pretty impressive. I don't think I if you're suggesting to me that Clay Marzo holds back, I would say no, no I way. I, no. I think I think Marzo, I actually think it's the other way. I think Harry Bryant's like just a slightly lesser version than Clay because I think Clay is a little bit more refined. I agree. I wasn't making a qualitative assessment. I didn't say one's better than the other. So and it I sounded agree with like you. I agree with you. I prefer watching Clay, actually. Um, anytime Clay puts anything on the internet, I'm just like, oh, click play and meet, stop what I'm doing, watch it, and like soak it in. It's pretty yeah. incredible. Yeah. But Harry's section is gnarly. And um, I've kind of underestimated him. In recent years, as people have been hyping in, I'm like, eh, but he's legit. Yeah, he does some fun stuff too, where he He'll ride on his knees. Like he's, yeah. doing some, he's doing some old man shit. Or if it's too late of a takeoff, he just belly boards it. Yeah, but the waves that he's belly boarding mm -hmm. on are like overhead. like Or the ones that he like knee boards into, back doors of barrel knee boarding. I'm like, why didn't you stand up? That thing was perfect, but... It was actually the right call. Yeah, it was actually. So yeah. that, was, that was super fun. Big fan of Harry Bryant. Yeah. Um, do you have any other... Oh, a couple of things, big video pieces that are dropping right now billy on the wsl's website it's a six-part yeah. documentary series part one dropped yesterday did yeah. you watch i i tuned in a little bit um i feel like i know about part one you know like to me part three and four and five are probably the parts that you know i might get a little bit more insight but i feel like we all know what happened um it's, and it's not that i didn't watch i'm sure i'll be enlightened i was just kind of caught up in some other business it's funny that you experienced that because I was watching it and thinking, wow, phenomenal production quality. There's a good story in here. Why am I not more like enthralled by this piece? You know, and I'm not they showed it to us already. I mean, I feel like maybe, we've seen this. We maybe. talked about it. We watched it happen in real time. It was over a year ago. I mean, it was kind of excavated. Does it feel overproduced? I haven't watched enough of it. I probably put in like a minute and then I got called away. I watched it all. Uh, maybe it's just, you're right. The setup episode isn't going to be as good as the high drama episodes, but, or maybe the other thing is maybe this just appeals to um, not like this is kind of the non-surfers candy because there's giant waves and it's high production, which should appeal to us as well because the quality of the waves and all that stuff is high. But let me, let me throw something out here that, that is kind of lingering a little bit. Like I got a little bit of a bad taste. Maybe. Okay. And this might just be on me probably okay. is as most things are, <laughs> but because it was a WSL production and was it a WSL production? Yeah. Because WSL it was a, studios. I, I now feel like everything that they produce. And even if it's not the case, I have this preconceived thing going in that it's like, they're just pushing the product. Mm. You know what I mean? Like it's not quite as sincere as it probably could have been if it was like one of Bill 
these homies on Maui that produced it or something, you know? Yeah, and I'm not saying they weren't behind the scenes doing the actual work. I just, and again, I could be wrong too. Like I'm not, I just, that's my own uh, bias going in is that I'm like, ah, oh. and it's the same way with like Mick and Ross Williams doing their little heated, get heated podcast. It's like, they're just pushing the agenda. Like they're never going to call out the WSL well, because look. that's their boss. Yeah, you're not wrong, by the way, Scott. You're saying, oh, maybe this is on me. No, this happens. This is a phenomenon. This happens all the time. If somebody says, hey, you should watch whatever TV show, Scandal. I'm like, I've never heard of that. Like, where where does it air? They go, ABC. I go, oh, I'm, I'm not interested. I know what <laughs> I know what ABC does. You know what I mean? I know the style of content that they make and who it's for. And so if you then said, no, it's on AMC or it's on Netflix, then I'd be like, oh, what's it about? And I'm more, I'm more interested. So you're not wrong. They could rebrand themselves essentially, or they could just kind of produce better quality content that does appeal to you and then realign in your brain and in your perception of them. But yeah, that's not unusual to have a stigma attached to something because yeah. of past experience. Yeah. Um, I have hopes for the piece and I, do think Billy is a um, compelling figure. The one thing that I thought was, I don't know, bad timing is, again, Chaz wrote a rumor on Beach Grit about the Big Wave World Tour um, being kind of sold, being sold essentially by the WSL or just them not running it anymore. And that, um, so it would be unfortunate because you watch this and you recognize like all the work that went into the Big Wave thing and all the pro surfers that kind of designed their life around it. And to now think that this would actually be a perfect prop up to then launch the tour with or to have a tour event. You're gonna get all these new eyeballs because of everybody falling in love with Billy and this character. So to have nowhere to funnel that audience now is just a real kind of mistiming. Well, I don't think they had any choice. I mean, I, I, think, <clears throat> I think they probably do have a really good, you know, six part series and you're right, Billy's a phenomenal character and offers, uh, tons of potential as a, as a piece. Um, but I just think they're like, Hey, we need to put out some content. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's nothing going on here and this Let's piece, put out some content. So they just did it. Yeah. And I mean, piece, they did. I mean, it just, it, it was just, they weren't going to wait on a big wave event. Well, and if, out. if the WSL or if the big wave world tour is shelved, um, this was in production prior yeah. to that decision happening very likely. So yeah. Yeah. But again, what, I just, I was just saying it's mistimed. What's this rumor about that Chaz wrote about? Is, I mean, how much, uh, how many, does it have legs? Yeah, it seems to have legs. I mean, look, we all have friends who are professional surfers and big yeah. wave surfers and working for brands that are involved in big wave surfing and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, yeah. The, the rumor is there's been no word from the WSL, zero communication about when the next event is and all of that stuff. Yeah. So it looks like it's just completely backburnered. Hmm. And which, by the way, doesn't mean it won't re-up in the future, but the people who actually control the ownership, I think would um, be looking to bring the event else, any events elsewhere to somebody else who could run them, you know, Red Bull or whoever. Uh, the other piece that we'll be debuting apparently today is part one of four of Andy Irons and the Radicals on Stab Mag Premium. This was slated to air thursday february 25th which is today so i woke up at 6 a.m just so i could watch it before our show and it's not available yet so maybe at some point throughout the day it'll be released but this is the piece that ashton goggins has been working on for i don't know a year going to yeah. going to shay lopez's house or whoever's and like 
compiling old footage that nobody's ever seen before and never saw the light of day, getting yeah. interviews with all those guys. Andy Irons and the Radicals uh, on Stab Premium, part one of four, should be dropping today. All right, cool. My Duke of the Week, Scott, is uh, Black Sand Surf. Are you familiar with this? No, fill me in, please. Black Sand Surf. So there was an incident that went down on President's Day on the north side in Manhattan Beach uh, where there was two young African-American surfers who got into an altercation where there was one older white male calling them the N-word and splashing water in their face and telling them to beat it. And um, there's footage, uh, not footage, there's photos of it. Like there was a lot of people in the water, obviously it's President's Day and nobody said a thing to defend these two kids. And these two, when I say kids, they're 22 and the guy was probably 50. So there's a sequence of photos of the, the guy like splashing one of them in the face. And as a lot of 21, 22 year olds would do, they're like, hey, old man, let's take this to the beach. And the guy's like, no, I'm not going to the beach with you guys. Beat it. You're not welcome here. You know, they're like, hey, we'll kick the shit out of you. Let's go to the beach, you know. And um, so ultimately what these young men decided to do, Brick and Gage are their names, is they have a solid social media following. They're like, all right, well, we're just going to rally the community together and we'll be back here and we're going to do a paddle out and we're going to discuss this. And we're going to the whole with the whole idea of doing a peaceful paddle out, but also with telling everybody, if you see something, say something like, look, I presume everybody else in the water is not racist. And I also presume that they know right from wrong. So why didn't anybody else jump in to tell this old racist to shut up, you know, and that he should beat it. And so I thought that these guys did a great job of um, rallying the community together to just kind of bring awareness to it and also in positivity, you know? And so I actually interviewed them. I, Ryan Harris from E-Tech Surfboards was one of the sp speakers at the paddle out as was Salama Masakela. And so I talked to Ryan about it. And then I interviewed him about it and some stuff going on with E-Tech and he had Brick and Gage come by. And so I got to hear their story straight from their mouth and they were so positive, radical, just like such good kids that were like, not even, a, they weren't even traumatized by it. They were just like, that guy's a kook. Like who cares what he has to say? Here's what we're doing. And um, so I just, I really enjoyed those guys. Black Sand Surf is their Instagram and people should follow. All right. Very, very good. Sounds like a great cause. And I'm a big fan of Ryan's. He's a good friend of mine. Is he? Yeah. I like Ryan too. Yeah, hey, October 9th and 10th, that's when we're having the boardroom surfboard show this year. We're honoring Pat Rawson, icon of foam. And uh, your mention of Ryan made me think of the boardroom show because he's a, he's a big part of that. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Scott, good show. Yeah, buddy. Um, Let's see. Next time, I had some stuff, but we got to get out here. Um, but just be thinking about this. I want us to trim down our list of the top 10 all-time wave, ridden waves. Okay. And we've got 14 now, so we'll kind of go through it and okay. uh, try to trim trim a couple out of there. That sounds good. Uh, I was supposed to ask you about something, too, and now I can't. It escapes me. Whatever. We'll catch up next week. Okay, until next time, adios and aloha. Walk along the river.